Good morning, church. Sure is good to see everybody. Apologize that my voice gets a little scratchy. I woke up this morning and I've been coughing a bit. I don't feel ill, but I may have slept with my mouth open or something, so. I would switch to sign language, but I don't know sign language, so that wouldn't do me any good. Or you, for that matter. We are just about finished with Nehemiah. As Mike mentioned, we're going to be transitioning over to 1 Peter after this. So today we'll do Nehemiah 11 and 12. That just leaves 13 for next week. I'll be preaching that as well. And then uh, it'll be Mike's turn to pick us up into 1 Peter. We're pretty excited. Uh, Obviously, the entire Bible is very exciting, great stuff in all of it. Uh, But some parts, I think, are maybe a little bit more exciting just because the relevance is perhaps easier for us simple folk to pin down and preach about. So... Uh, it's wonderful to see everybody today. We always read and then we preach. Today I'm doing 11 and 12. If you did read ahead, it's a humdinger of a couple chapters. Nehemiah, uh, in the book, Ezra wrote this book, but it, as Nehemiah is going through his adventures, uh, they track a lot of this. Um, and we've talked a lot about how this is an important part of the Word. It's here. God intended for it to be here. It's true and, and powerful and uh, we'll, we'll bring glory and honor to his name, so we're going to preach it, and I'm going to read it, but if I screw the names up, and you're a scholar, and you're like, holy moly, this guy needs to learn how to pronounce some of these names, I would love the feedback. I'm trying my best. Uh, so for today, let's go ahead and uh, move through this. We'll pray, and then we'll get to it. I called today's uh, sermon, God Keeper of Promises, and as we talk through this, bear that in mind. Uh, what we see, we sung about promises, but we see a fulfillment now as we move to the end of this book of all their hard work to come back, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, rebuild Israel. And, uh, and God's seeing this through, despite many of their shortcomings. So with that, let's dive into Nehemiah. If you've got your Bible, great. Uh, we'll use the ESV. That's what we read out of. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but feel free to, to read along in either location. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain sons of of Judah, and of the sons of Benjamin, of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Sephathiah, son of Malahiel, of the sons of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Calhosa, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Jorib, son of Zechariah, son of Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshullam, son of Joed, son of Padiah, son of Coliah, son of Masiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jehiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasanua, was second over the city. Of the priests, Jediah, the son of Joerib, Jachin, Sarai, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshullam, son of Zadok, son of Mareoth, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822. And Adiah, the son of Jeroham, son of Peliah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malkijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' houses, 242. And Amashai, the son of Azael, I'm sorry, the son of Azarel, son of Azai, son of Meshillamoth, son of Emmer, 
and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadalim, and of the Levites, Shemai, the son of Hashib, the son of Azrakam, son of Hashabath, son of Buni, and Shabbathai and, and Josabad, the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house of God, and Mataniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbukiah, the son among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shamu, son of Galal, son of Jedathan. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. The gatekeepers, Achab, Talman, and their brothers, who kept watching the gates, were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were all in the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Alphal, and Ziha and Gishba were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them, and a fixed provision for the singers, as every day required. And Pathiah, the son of Meshezabel, the son of Zerah, the son of, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kirith Arba and its villages, and in Dibon and its villages, and in Jacabzeel and its villages. And in Jeshua, and in Moladah, and in Beth Pelet, and in Hazar Shul, and in Beersheba, and its villages, in Ziklag, in Mekonah, and its villages, and in Rimon, and Zorah, and Jarmuth, Zanoah, Ab, Ab, Aduham, and their villages, Lachish, and its fields, Azekah, and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Michmash. Aijah, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gideon, Hadid, Zeboam, Nabalot, Lod, and Ono, the Valley of Craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites and Judah were assigned to Benjamin. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Malak, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Meramoth, Edo, Genethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Maida. Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joireb, Jediah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, Jediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Jeshua. And the Levites, Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who with his brothers were in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakbakiah and Uni and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. And Jeshua was the father of Joachim, and Joachim the father of Eliashib, and Eliashib the father of Joida, and Joida the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan the father of Jadua. And in, those, and in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses of Sariah, Moriah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshullam, of Amariah, Jehoanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Haram, Adna, of Marioth, Helkai, of Edo, Zechariah, of Genethon, Meshullam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Manianin, Maniamin, and Moadiah, Piltai of Bilgah, Shemua of Shemaiah, Jehonathan of Joarib, Mataniah of Jediah, Uzai of Shalai, Kalai of Amak, Eber of Hilkiah, Hashabiah of Jedidiah, Nathaniel. In the days of Eliashib, Joida, Johanan, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of Chronicles until the days of of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. 
And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Madaniah, Bakbakiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akab were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of, Jehose- son of Josedek, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, and with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And, so, and the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem, and from the villages of the Nedophathites, and from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmeveth. For the singers had built for them villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of the church of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate, and after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain parts of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph. And his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David, to the winter gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. And above the gate of Ephraim, by the gate of Yeshanah, by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a hall at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elianai, Zechariah, and Hanani with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Johanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God, And the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which is for the sons of Aaron. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, easy. it's easy for me to get lost in that sea of names. It's easy for me to begin to question the relevance of this and why, why Lord, we even bother to read them. What's the point? Maybe all of your word is uh, useful for reproof and teaching except for this, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray if we're stuck in that mire, if other people are there with me, maybe fatigued by this, uh, Lord, that you'll soften our hearts and help us to know that there are things in these lists of names that while we don't connect to it right away, Uh, When we dwell with you and we study together, uh, these names can take on a meeting, perhaps, that are are far more than just an arbitrary list of names of people, Lord. 
And I pray as we study that and we, we spend the time to, to dive deep into your scripture, Lord, that we know that this is, uh, it's good for us today as well. It's not just a history book. These aren't just interesting stories uh, that are fun to tell and remember the, the good old days or the bad old days or however we see it, Lord, but, but we get a picture of who you are and who your son is and the sacrifice that was pending at this point of what your son was going to do on that cross, Lord. I thank you for the scripture. I thank you for every word that's in it, Lord. And uh, please be with me today as I uh, take this, this scripture that contains all the power and uh, try to exposit it properly to a group. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's do a quick recap. We're not quite done yet. We'll have one more next week, but next week is kind of uh, the closing thoughts of the book of Nehemiah. So if, if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah and you're not read it in a minute or whatever else, or you haven't been following along, which is okay, the first seven chapters are Nehemiah coming back, rebuilding the wall in a city that's effectively desolate. It's been left to ruin. There was an exile. Things are not very good. Nehemiah has a charge. He asks the king. King says, go, and they're off. The wall's getting rebuilt. They're doing record labor in record time. It's miraculous. It's awesome. It's inspiring. People are on board. Some people are not on board. Trouble ensues. Fighting breaks out. They're guarding as they're building. It's a whole ordeal, but seven chapters of basically seeing Nehemiah doing the work. In Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah and the Israelites, in Nehemiah 8, the walls are largely rebuilt. They read the word. If you remember, they said, bring us the word. Read the law to us. That, that happens. And then they hold the festival of booths. Everybody is moved. Uh, unbelievable emotional moment, spiritual moment, as they realize how far they've come, how far they are from God, what God expects, what God has seen in the past and where they are now. Woe unto us. Lord, help us. We've got to make this right. And they hold the festival of booths probably for the first time in a long time as they try to get back on their feet and serve God. In Nehemiah 9, there's a massive confession of sin, all the things that were wrong, and a, a, basically a, a demonstration that they understood the law. They heard what was read. They understood what was read. They begin to, to understand if that's the law and it's true and we're over here, we're in hot water. We are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We are far away from the law. That is not good. Lord, we are sorry. And then in Nehemiah 10, which we uh, talked about last week and covered in our small groups today, we see them covenant to keep the law, and they make that official. They put their names on the line, which is dotted. We will keep the law of God. We will operate his temple as he sees fit. We will commit to contribute goods and monies to keep the temple going, all of which is prescribed in the law. That's what we are going to do. And that leads us here today. So needless to say, there's a lot going on, and they have accomplished so much. But now it's time to, quote, operate the city. They've had a singular focus. I'm sure everybody here can relate to having a task, a task at hand. We need something to do. We need to mow the yard, build a building, help move. There comes a time when you've bought a new house, you're moving to a new city, and you've got the planning, and man, it's coming together. We got our list. We didn't leave anything off. The gas is in the car. We're hitting the road. Traffic was great. We're here. That's what's going on here. We're building the wall. We got jobs. Everyone grab a sword. There's trouble. We got adversity. And then it's done. And then they read the law, and they read the law, and they're like, oh, Lord, please, we need your help even more now than we did before. We're going to keep the law this time, God. We're going to do it right this time. Okay, hooray! And now, what do we do? 
Now we've got a city, we've got walls, we've got gates, we've got a covenant, and it's time to live. (laughs) It's time for operations. We need to do the day-to-day. The big push, the big move, the big rebuild, the big task that Nehemiah set out to do is largely complete. Now it's time to put their money where their mouth is. We know this is the truth because God kept his promise. Nehemiah said, I feel like i got to go back and build, and God moved the king out of the way and sent him back with money and horses, and God kept all this together. Go back and do it, and he did. God kept them safe. Their wherewithal to work at the wall, hold a sword in one hand, and a trowel in the other. They did that, of course, but God led them to it. God kept his promise. And then more names. Well, I'll tell you this, at least you didn't have to read them aloud. <clears throat> it is a list and a half. And I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, I cannot believe he's going to actually read all these names. Well, I can't believe it either. But I'll tell you, when push comes to shove, I don't know what better thing to do. It's the Word of God. And maybe I don't quite understand it. Maybe nobody quite understands it. But I'll tell you, we've read some of these names, I mentioned this last week, two or three times. And you start to recognize them. There's power in that understanding, right? God wants us to know these names. If he didn't, they wouldn't be in his Word. They would have said, and a whole bunch of other people from Israel. But he did. He shows the lineage. And we've talked about this stuff. The names here aren't as important as the notion. What they're trying to demonstrate isn't, oh, well, it was, you know, you know, Gattacolia or whatever his name. Like, I'm mispronouncing it. But it's the son of the son of the son. They're showing us very clearly that God has seen all of this and it's all coming together just as planned. The Levites are part of the Levites. The priests are part of the priestly lineage. All of these people representing all the tribes are there. We, they want us to know that this isn't a haphazard group of whatever. They have taken the time to make sure that the things God commanded, that these people will do this job and these people will do this job. We don't deal with that as much in today's church, but that was a big part of the law. And they want us to know they took that seriously. They want us to know that it wasn't just random people that are trying to emulate God's law. These are God's people coming back to the city to do, God's, to do life God's way in every respect. God is also showing us that people matter. If, if that wasn't important, then lineage wouldn't have mattered to God, but it did. He put people in place over generations and generations and generations. Now, we all know that penultimately God is in charge. It's all to his glory, and that at the end of the day, we are servants. We are tools in the hands of the master. But we are tools ordained by him to do work, and that matters. So when we see these names and we talk about our names and we decide that we want to be a part of a covenant and we sign an agreement to join a church together, to minister together, it matters. We matter because we have committed to God to do so and God will use us accordingly. So what's going on here? The wall's done. Let's go. We're bringing people back. The city's ready to live in, right? But in this time for sure, it's very risky to come back. Cities, even though they had walls, were great targets. Chances are... If you came into a giant area, and here's an area with a big wall around it and several gates, and then a bunch of small farms, and you want to rob and pillage, you want to get inside that wall. That's probably where they keep the money, not scattered around in all the fields. Now, today, this would be like the bank. You know know what the money is. If you want to steal money, you go to a bank. Well, if you want to steal money, you would go to a city. And people knew this. And this city was destroyed a few short months ago. So now we've got a new city. How do we, do we trust those walls? I don't know. Nehemiah didn't. I saw some kids up there working on the walls. We saw that in the scripture. There were women and children up there that don't know anything about building walls. Men that don't know anything about building walls. Building walls. I don't want to move to that city. It could all be knocked down in a day. 
But it was important to reside in the rebuilt city. It was the purpose of this occurring. We're going to rebuild the city. We're going to rebuild the temple. We want to get people back in the city. We're going to do this again, and we're going to do it right. And they had a plan to balance that risk. Well, draw straws. Basically, this is exactly what they did. All the leadership moved back. Those in charge that bought into this vision that Nehemiah had, which was a vision given to him from God, he probably said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back. We're going to build the wall. We're going to do this. They said, oh, yeah, okay, we'll see. And then he did it. Then it happened. And suddenly it's, uh, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Maybe this is something. I mean, this is a miracle what we've seen. I think God's in the midst of this. So the leaders are coming back to the city. Along with them, 10% of the Jews will relocate. So if you've got, you know, 100 people outside, 10 of them will come back. That's it. Now, we could talk about, is it capacity of the city? That's probably some of that, right? The, there's, the city is of limited size. We, we looked at a, an image a few years, uh, a few years, but it's not been that long of a sermon series, a few weeks ago of kind of how big the city was in relation to like football fields. Um, and it's pretty big, but not huge. It's not like you could put 50,000 people in the city without having them stacked up. So let's manage the population, but also... There was a lot of folks that probably didn't want to come back to the city. They had a farm outside. They were working out there. Uh, they know they aren't in any threats. It's a known quantity. So some of us will come back and some of us won't. And how we'll decide is we'll cast lots. It's fair. If your number is up, you come back to the city. If your number is not, you stay out at the farm. And then there's that sea of names. Um, hopefully you saw a lot of familiarity there. I know I do. I mentioned last week about Big Vi. I don't think he's in today's reading. But there's names that end up sticking out to me. And I find that interesting because I suddenly start to feel a little bit of connective tissue about what we're addressing. Here we actually went back to the Zerubbabel list, which we read weeks ago, inciting some of those names that this was all part of a bigger motion of God. Pay attention to the count. There's still numbers in there. 400 here, 200 here, 187 here. The number of people that are part of this and involved in this is worth noting. We know it because it's in the Word. And then pay attention to the valor ascribed. I love that. Men of valor. As Ezra wrote this and Nehemiah is talking about this, clearly there's an understanding that coming back and living in a city that's been basically built from rubble again and doing that for God is brave. Trusting God is brave. That seems like maybe that's the opposite. Like, well, God's sovereign. He's God. He can do anything he wants. That's true. But if you're not sure, if you're not 100% sure if God's going to have you succeed or fail, to trust God is pretty brave. I'm going to go along with God no matter what happens. So we move back to the city. What if the city gets plundered? What if the city catches fire? What if there's an outbreak of disease? What if the walls fall down? What if the water goes bad? God rebuilt the city. I'm going to live there. We are, we are going to live there. We are going to trust that God will take care of us or he will erase us from this earth, but it's his call, not ours. That is brave. That's, thus the valor ascribed. These are brave people, not because they're all super strong with big hammers and they can beat anybody that comes to the door. That's not it, but they're trusting God. They've trusted him thus far. They're going to keep on trusting him. They're not giving up. We see him talk about priests and Levites as we move through these. These folks are listed in Nehemiah 12, and they're listed separate from the leaders and citizens. And they're called out specifically because they're critical to ministry. It's not just, well, let's, let's call out the, the, the priests and Levites because, you know, we ran out, that's the only room we had left on the paper, but because these folks are denoted by God to do God's work. In the law, the priests and the Levites, they had a special category. They were the only ones permitted to do certain things. 
around the temple and, and managed certain parts of God, uh, God's economy, especially when it came to the temple. And Nehemiah notes that he is doing this because it's been done before. I actually see him invoking David, talking about David. What Nehemiah seeks to do is to fulfill the law of God as good or better than those that came before. He's taking into account the traditions, the things that matter, the things that are indicated in the word. And he wants us to know as we see this put down on paper that that was part of the consideration given. It wasn't a whole new city and we're doing it Nehemiah's way. It's a resurrected city, if you will. That's a little bit of a stretch. A resurrected city and we're going to do it God's way. And we know that God said to do it this way in the past and that's what we're going to do. I'm talking, he's dropping some pretty big names of those that came before that, that did a good job, that God was, was pleased with in some regard. That's what we want to try to do. So are we serious about priests and Levites? Are we serious about the work of the temple? Yes. How do we know? Because he cites it. He talks about the priests and he talks about the Levites. He talks about what they're going to do and the way they're going to do it and why they're going to do it. And then we see them dedicate the wall. Now we've covered the who. That was a, a lot of names that were cited there. Let's look at what, what they did. The Levites, they take their places. They've got bands. They've got choirs. It is a celebration. It's, it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around this sometimes because this chapter, this whole book feels very um, action-oriented. It's very forward. Let's get this build. Let's go from A to B. Let's accomplish something. We're trusting God, but we got to go. And now it's all done, and the work is finished. And there's a tendency to say, okay, now what's the next task, right? I crossed it off my list. Now what do we do? Let's go out and uh, you know, feed the poor and clothe the, 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 you know, the, the children. You know, bing, 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 what's, what's next? But they don't. They take time to celebrate, to give thanks to God for this unbelievable miracle that has occurred. And it's un, it, it, the, the scale of this is crazy when you think about it. Multiple choirs, priests stationed everywhere. Uh, cleansing gates, cleansing people. It's, it's bananas. But protocol will be followed. Before any of this occurs, before they get into celebrating, uh, Nehemiah 12.30 says, the priests and the Levites purify themselves. Nehemiah knows this is for God, and it must be God's way. I say Nehemiah himself, and we could argue that it's Ezra because he talks about he and I, and Ezra wrote the book, as most, most people say that, right? Um, but suffice to say, there's Ezra citing himself in the third person, so it's tricky to know, but the, the leadership is basically putting these choirs. The, the leadership is actively engaged with coordinating this. He wants it to be awesome. So don't, don't get it messed up. That's like, well, it's all about protocol. This is the, we're just doing a, a typical, you know, holy protocol to celebrate a victory as the way God's all prescribed it. While that's true, clearly they are over the moon about this. They are so excited. Choir over there. Come with me. Let's put a choir over here. Can you hear them over there? Sounds good. Great. Hey, let's get a Levite at every gate. Be purifying the gate along. First, before we go anywhere, everybody purify yourselves. We know what the rituals are. Let's go do that. Okay, everybody's purified. Great. Let's go. Let's get everybody involved. We got food. We got sacrifices. We're, it's a big deal. Why? Because we're giving thanks to God. When people come into the city, when people walk near the city, I want them to think, what is going on in there? And we know this because uh, we see the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away in 1243. Now, we have a couple of speakers, and we can wind those things up and open the front door, and you'll probably be able to hear me hollering, carrying on, maybe a half mile down the road. But they didn't have a PA. <laughs> there was no amplification. And they were behind walls 
that were probably 40 feet high and 20-some feet thick. And it says you could hear them far away. Man, when I say I long for this, beloved, I mean it. Like the idea that somebody far from our church hears a, a joy that almost makes them think, what is, what is going on over there? It's not bad. Something great is happening. I want to go check it out. This is the way for them to remind themselves of who did this. They're not giving themselves high fives. We did it, everybody. We're the best. We're the best Jews that have ever existed. We know because we accomplished this. No, we are not. We are no different than the other Jews, but let's try to be different and not mess it up this time. Their hard work is undeniable. We talked about the scope of the city a while back, and I can't wrap my mind around building a city. I don't remember what the numbers are, but it's something like 200 and some football fields worth of space, and they built a wall that's 40 feet high and 20 feet thick around it in months. It's incredible. It is incredible. Their hard work is undeniable, but God is to be thanked. They could have been wiped off the face of the earth at any moment by far larger nations with giant armies, but that never happened. They could have run out of rocks. They could have had fallen ill. There could have been tons of injuries. Lots more infighting that actually came to something that's how the work. None of that ever happened. They did their part. They worked hard. But God, but God, he provided all of it. He provided the next breath that they took, the resources, the time, the longevity. All of that has nothing to do with them. That is all from the divine. That's why the joy of Jerusalem was heard so far away. I don't want people down at the Walmart to be like, what is going on at Calvary Heights because the Colts won? That's not why. I mean, who cares if the Colts won at the end of the day? There's going to be a bunch of people that don't like the Colts. But if, if they are crying out like, what's going on over there? And it's because God is God is God. That's what I'm talking. That's what I want people going over them. I'm going to come in here and say, how could you be so happy about what's going on? Look at the state of the world. How can you celebrate God at a time like this? Sit down. Let me tell you how. Because this too shall pass. I'm not making that up. That's in the word. God's Word is alive. It teaches us today the things we need to know right now. Yes, I just read a list of names that I could barely pronounce, but here we are learning about how good God is, how faithful He was then and is now. This is not just a party. They're not just partying. The law is being upheld. God celebrates this in the law. He tells us the festival of booze, the festival, all of this is in there. Celebrate these times. There's times for celebration. Give thanks to God. The law is being upheld. Men are appointed to begin the process of running the temple. We see that at the end of this. Okay, okay, we talked about. We got to operate. We're having a celebration. Celebration is over. We're getting down now. How are we going to do this? These will be the gentlemen running the temple, as God prescribed in his law. These will be the gentlemen collecting the tithes, as God prescribed in the law. Hey, everybody, let's remember our covenants. Remember, we covenanted. We're going to be giving. We're going to be contributing. We're going to be caring for one another. Together, we keep the temple going. We keep the law in, in, in force. They are getting right to work. It's not celebration and leave the city. It's not get together, have a really high moment of excitement, and then back to their normal daily lives. This is a heralding of a change of heart, a change of spirit for all of them. We're going to do this right this time. And Nehemiah notes this is how David did it. Uh, there's something really awesome about this, I think, because Nehemiah clearly very well revered. They, they love him. He has all these people working. He's inspiring them. He's trusting God. He's here. It's all a miracle. You know, he's just on eagle's wings. And he 
talks about, but, you know, I'm doing this because of the way David did it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's one here uh, that I'm inspired by that I would love to be more like, right? And you think of all these people like, gosh, I wish I could be like Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's like, no, you don't want to be like me. You want to be like David. And David would tell you, well, you don't want to be like me. You want to be like, uh, you know, Abraham. Well, you don't want to be like me, right? Around we go until we come to, of course, Christ. Now, they don't have the luxury we have of knowing the story of Christ. But what we see here is inklings, glimmers of faith. Now, it's tarnished a lot by bad decisions and the things of trying to fulfill the law. We all know that's impossible. But you can start to see little, little sparks of belief that God is sovereign. I don't know who Jesus is, but I know there will be a Messiah. I've heard rumors of a prophecy, and I believe it to be true. There will be a Savior. God will save us through the Messiah that hasn't yet appeared. So, points to ponder. I usually do this if you're, if you're new here. I usually try to break down four points for us to take away. Points to ponder. Number one, recognize the commitment of your family in Christ. Number two, Take the time to dedicate your efforts. Number three, show the world your joy in the Lord. And number four, trust that God's way is the way. So if you were here last week and a couple weeks before, this may sound like a familiar bullet. Yes, it's similar. So what? Uh, God's done this twice now. We've seen this in separate chapters where he's listed names of people that were involved with things. He's, he's, he is remembered in the word who was there, and what they did. If God did it twice, I'll preach it twice, and I'll confess I changed my mind about this. I used to not be a big church history guy. Uh, I struggle a lot personally with uh, bravado and not being braggadocious or trying to be the center of attention. It's a, it's a problem. And so I tend to ebb way on the other side of things when I work for, the, for God, that I don't want any recognition, write nothing down. I, I, I want to just turn to dust and have my work stand on their own. And there's, I guess, something kind of a false humility or nobility about that. But the reality is when something amazing happens and we want to prove to the world that this was of God and for God and by God, it ought to be us that writes down who was there, the covenant that was made, and why we chose to do it. We can do that. It's not us bragging about our works or our hard works. I didn't do anything worth a darn. But I was part of an amazing thing that God did, and I want the world to know how awesome God is by what he did through humble old me this day, the most humble person you'll ever meet. That's a joke. You can't be the most humble and brag about it. But anyway, so there is something to documenting what God has done. And I think that's something that we can work on, talking to the world around us about things that we have done. And then when they say, oh, well, tell me more about it, we, we, get, we have a really awesome opportunity to point them back to God and his sovereignty and his provision, his blessing. Number two, take the time to dedicate your efforts. Make it special and set it aside. That's what holy means, right? It's set aside. If we do something, if we take, a, if we take effort, if we, if we reach out and we're doing that for God's sake and, and we want to, it's finished, the work we set out to do is complete, dedicate it to God. It's not about arbitrary partying, but it is about committing the future of our efforts to God. This party in the city, this dedication in the city, wasn't just a bunch of, of back padding for a job well done. It was them saying, we have seen God do something amazing and I cannot believe it. I'm overflowing with joy and happiness and awe. All these attributes that, that God inspires in humanity. That's what's going on. And they're, they're singing about how good God is. And they're, they're dedicating things in the, in the way that God would have them dedicate. Let's make, make ourselves holy. Make the city holy. Let's set it apart. But circling back to the covenant, this is a logical next step. 
If we covenant to do something as a group and that something is to follow God's law, when we, when we take a step, it's reasonable to say, now how does God's law instruct us to dedicate this? That's what they did. Singing, play music, give praise to God, sacrifice to God, all to God, to God, to God. Sounds good to me. Take time to do that. When you complete a task, it's very tempting to move on to the next task. City's done. All right, we're back to work. Back to the farms. Let's go. We got to get the wood in for this temple. We got sacrifices. Let's go. Get the animals raised. First fruits. We talked about this. Oh, okay, okay. No. Get the choirs. This is incredible what's been done. Let's take a moment. Let's smile. Let's laugh and cry together at the awesomeness of our God. And then we'll take the next steps. Number three. Show the world your joy in the Lord. This is confession number two for me. I struggle with this a lot. I love God and I'm uh, crazy about it, but a lot of times I feel like sometimes celebrations are for celebration's sake and I get negative about that, right? I don't want to just look cool. I don't want the world to show up and think it's just a party for partying's sake. But here we see a party that I've never been a part of. They could hear it from miles around for God. And uh, I think, yeah, that might be all right. So I'll tell you, not bragging about your hard work, but being thankful for God's provision, talking about the awesome things that God has done through us, through others, what's, what's happening in the, the world around us and how just enthralled we are and being really honestly excited, not putting on airs, not looking for an escape, but real, loud, almost raucous worship and celebration. This is something that the world will crave. Uh, I, there are certain types of music that I really like and certain types of music that I really don't like. I'm just citing this as an example, but one of the things I can tell you is if somebody was playing like, like you know, modern country music, which isn't my favorite genre by a long stretch, but they were really into it, pouring their kind of heart and soul into the effort to play the instrument and to sing, I find myself drawn to that. I find myself drawn to somebody doing something that they're very passionate about. I guess I pray for us that this would be our walk with Christ, that we would have the same passion for sharing the good news about what Jesus has done, what Jesus is still doing, and what Jesus will do, and how he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are working together, that people will just stop and be enamored by what's happening. Like, I've never seen anybody so excited about something before. Like, we ain't seen nothing yet, right? I mean, this is a pittance compared to what we're going to be doing in heaven. It's worship 24-7. This party in Jerusalem, this is a joke compared to what's going on right now around the throne, right? I mean, we can't even look at that stuff without having to have our eyes and lips seared. It's so holy and so awesome and spectacular. We can do that, a small amount of that here, and that's great. Celebrate, be excited, be pumped up, show the world. This isn't just a slog. It's not, oh, I gotta go to church again. I gotta. Now, believe me, we've all had days. I've had days where it's like, Lord, just before my snooze goes off again, take me home (laughs) because I don't want to get up. I'm very tired and I'm sore. But there's also a huge amount of opportunity to, to say, I'm, I'm excited. I am literally excited. If I stop and I start thinking about what God has done um, in the last couple of years here at this church, the, the, the new faces and old faces and, and, and the stalwarts, it pumps me up. Not because of anything I've done or anybody else has done, but I see that God is still moving. He is still breathing and, and changing lives in our small community, and thus the state and the nation and the world. 
This is something that the world will crave and they ought to. Finally, trust that God's way is the way. I'll tell you right now, this is easier said than done oftentimes. But we ought not take the wheel back. You catch the song reference there. Jesus, take the wheel. We love that part, right? Trouble ensues. God, you get in charge. Please, okay. And then after he writes us on the road, we're like, great, great, great. Let me get back behind that wheel again. That's a mistake, right? We should never have been behind the wheel. We don't know what we're doing. We're like a two-year-old. We can't reach the pedals, the horn. We just honk the horn. Like, stop honking the horn. It's a nightmare. We will crash the car over and over and over and over. Now, we will learn to drive. God will teach us to drive in some regards, but we should never say, I've got it from here. Here's another confession for me. That's a, a real tendency of mine. There are things I know very well that I am incapable of doing. But there's a lot of things I've convinced myself I'm more than capable of doing. That's a lie. I'm, I'm okay at certain things, right? I can play the guitar decently. But let me tell you, if I walk out this door and a tree branch falls and takes my right arm away, that's done. What I'm doing now, I'm not saying I couldn't do it. There's fancy people, that, but I couldn't do what I do today. I have no arm. If I walk out that door and my heart stops beating, my guitar career is over. That's not my call. I don't like every few seconds, like, okay, beat, heart, let's go. I'm, that's my brain as God intended for that to happen. But I'm not promised any more heartbeats, nor my right arm, nor any of this. I don't want the wheel back. God, if you want to use this body to play guitar and preach, so be it. If you don't, so be it. Your way is the way. If I lose my voice and it doesn't come back, well, then I'm done up here. And I'm fine with that because it was never my gig to begin with. This is the best I've got for God. It's not the best, but it's the best that I've got. It's the best that God's given me. Once we're operating, we should do it God's way in anything. We're running a church. We're running our household. We're getting settled in our new job. Uh, we're rekindling our marriage. We're reinteracting with our children, right? I, how do I do this? We had a great moment. We had a great time on the family vacation, and now it's, it's coming apart again. How do we operate? Do it God's way. Get back into the Word. You'll find, hopefully you've seen today, even in a chapter like Nehemiah 11 and 12, there's a lot of really practical advice. There's a lot of good, godly wisdom, power in this Word that may seem obscure Old Testament lists of names. It's just not true. It's all there. When in doubt, seek it out in the Word. I'm happy to give advice to people. You know, uh, I've mentioned this before. I used to be on the other side of this argument and be like, well, yeah, okay, let me go to the Word to see how to like put a, let me, I need to change my tire. Let me get out my Bible. Like, well, it's not in here, is it? Like, no. You're not going to see in there like the order of lug nuts and the torque for your, it's not going to be in there. But the, the manner in which we conduct ourselves when we have a flat tire, the expectation we have when we change our tire, the reason we bother to change our tire and own a vehicle, that's in there. If it's not, you've missed out. Because every single thing you do when you get in the car and start it, when you change your tire, when you buy new tires, ought to be to the glory of God as the lowest common denominator. And if it's not, it's a great time to check. We're having a celebration. We're rebuilding a wall. I'm changing a tire. It's all for God. It's all for God. And not just for God, but of God and by God. Once again, uh, ask Mike. He broke both his thumbs once. Try to change a tire with no thumbs. Now try it with no arms. Really, really difficult. This is a gift. This is provision that God has given us in everything that we do. So what about us? I know your names and I'm thankful for you. I can tell you that right now. Much like this book, these names that are written down, these people that are willing to move back to the city, I'm thankful for those hearing me today. Yes, even you folks online, I know your names too, some of them. But it's true. I am thankful for this. Now, now that I've said that, what can we rebuild, dedicate, and operate for God? 
There's got to be something. And nothing's, I mean, unless, unless anyone here is willing to say the world is perfect, we're just basically waiting for Christ to come back and anoint the kingdom. And I doubt I'm seeing a lot of heads shaking. No, that's where I am. No, we got a lot of work to do. What can we rebuild, dedicate, and operate for God? What joy can we share with the world around us? How far can we make that joy be heard? And how can we rely more on God for what matters? It's sometimes really easy to rely on God for the things that don't matter, for the little things, you know, the, the stuff that's going our way. And then the tough times come and we forget or we panic and we try to get the wheel back real quick. No, God, not that exit. I already did the maps. I know where we're going. Eh, maybe you let me drive from here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am uh, so thankful. I'm so thankful that your word is so powerful, that your word is, is so applicable, so relevant. Lord, I am I'm thankful beyond words, Lord. I, as we seek to every week uh, rebuild and dedicate and celebrate and operate for you in this place, Lord, I pray that it's not just an action we take in this building or on this property or... Lord, I pray that's an action that's happening in our hearts. That we are rebuilding our hearts because you are rebuilding our hearts, Lord. But we want to be a part of that. I want to be there. I want to understand what's happening. I want to know and, and be able to quantify the, the sin you've taken from me and the burdens you've lifted and be able to share that good news to see in my heart the, a complete rebuild and, and the walls are being built back up in a, in a good way and the, it's no longer rubble and and I want you to indwell that. And Lord, I just pray for all of us here. If we're lost, if we're, if we're fumbling about or we feel like there's just no way to connect and we can't get from A to B and we're, you're not working and we don't know what's happening, Lord, that we will put all that notion aside. You're ready to go. You're sending people right now. You're changing hearts right now. You're inspiring people right now, Lord. Help us to just be part of that, to, to find a place where we can start rebuilding and then dedicate that work to you, Lord. And then, then celebrate and operate all that together for your glory, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'll open doors that we feel like all of them are closed and there's no work to be done and there's nowhere for us to be or do, Lord. Change that. Change that today, Lord. Help our church to become an, an example to, to everybody else that it has always ever been about you. Your work in this place, your work in this world, your work in the city, your work in our families, your work in our hearts, your work in our individual lives, Lord. All of it is of, for, and by you. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Change your sons.